Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. All right, we are still in our July modified programming schedule here this month. And later in the show, Amy will join us for the history moment as well as the resources of the week. We've also got a great interview with Summer Novak from the International Mission Board coming up later in the episode. I had the chance, along with a couple of colleagues from Baptist Press, to visit the International Mission Board this past week up in Richmond, Virginia. Had a great time with them. Thank you to El Herelco and Julie McGowan and the entire team for welcoming us with open arms and and really showing us around and, and you know giving us kind of the behind-the-scenes tour of what goes on at the International Mission Board. Folks, just be encouraged. Uh, your missionaries across the world are in great hands with the team there at the IMB. They are fantastic, and uh, their love for Christ comes through in everything they do, and, and their desire to take the gospel to the nations is is evident uh, whenever you sit down and talk with any of them. And I think you're going to hear that from Summer as well as uh, she joins us later in the podcast. Just an incredible interview with her, and I do want to thank her and the entire team from the IMB for making time for us this week as we were up there in Richmond. Uh, before we get into the podcast, though, do want to thank our sponsor, Southwestern Seminary. Again, this summer, Southwestern Seminary announced a new name and vision for their undergraduate college. Scarborough College is now Texas Baptist College. Texas Baptist College exists to glorify God by providing trustworthy Christian higher education for more faithful kingdom service. Wherever God calls you, you can get the Christ-centered, scripture-driven, and student-focused education you need at Texas Baptist College. You can find out more at texasbaptist.com. That is texasbaptist.com for more information on Texas Baptist College. Some quick news notes around the SBC this week before we get to our interview with Summer Novak. Over at Ridgecrest this week, Black Church Week took place. Uh, remember last year they were off-site and did everything via the internet because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but this year returned to Ridgecrest, had more than 400 uh, attendees at Black Church Week in a modified schedule. They had an online and in-person hybrid conference this year. So uh, a great turnout there at Ridgecrest for Black Church Week. You can find more information about that and, and read the entire report from Diana Chandler from Baptist Press. The The link is in the show notes over at sbcthisweek.com. You can also find that story over at Baptist Press. Uh, some news from Liberty. We've talked to you a little bit about everything that's going on post-Jerry Falwell Jr., but this week, a dozen women filed suit against Liberty University, claiming the university, quote, intentionally created a campus environment where sexual assault and rapes are foreseeably more likely to occur than when they would have in the absence of Liberty's policies. The student conduct policy in question uh, that they're referencing there is called the Liberty Way. You can read the entire student conduct policy as well as the entire lawsuit from those 12 women that filed that this week over at Baptist Press. Liberty did issue a statement saying that they will immediately look into each of these claims to determine what needs to be done to make things right if they turn out to be true. So uh, there were 12 uh, women that came forth, like I said, that made this claim and, uh, and filed this lawsuit. This comes kind of in the wake of the resignation, as we mentioned, of former President Jerry Falwell Jr., as well as the recent publication of Season 3 of the popular Gangster Capitalism podcast. 
Uh, this podcast this season focused on Falwell's leadership of the university and spoke with more than 80 former and current Liberty students, faculty, staff, high-ranking administrators, and those with intimate knowledge of Falwell Jr. And several of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit were on the podcast telling their stories on the pod. So uh, you can check out that story again over at BaptistPress.com. Uh, we also have a re- video update from the task force that the president of the SBC, Ed Litton, has appointed uh, to oversee an independent review of the executive committee. Dr. Litton put out about a four-minute video with an update on that. You can see that full video and the story over at Baptist Press. And then finally, some news from Southwestern. Uh, Katie McCoy is leaving the school to join the BGCT as their women's ministry team leader, but the school has appointed six scholars to join the faculty, including Ashley Allen, John Okanaga, Jacob Schatzer, Travis Trawick, Daniel Hayes, and Scott Duvall. Uh, The first four of those uh, will begin their responsibilities in the fall of 2021, while Hayes and Duvall will join the school in the spring 2022 semester. So uh, more information about them over at the Southwestern website at over at swbts.edu. You can find out more about those six scholars that have joined the school at Southwestern uh, for the fall and the spring semesters. So that's going to do it for our news roundup this week. Again, a couple of more weeks, and we'll be back to our normal routine here on the podcast. But today we're delighted to have another interview here on the podcast. Joining us today on SBC This Week is Summer Novak. She is the Prevention and Response Administrator with the International Mission Board. Summer, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. We uh, met earlier this week. I mentioned earlier in the episode that I was at the IMB this week and meeting with you and several of the administrators there. And it was good to meet you for the first time. And you said that you were a listener to the podcast, which which like blew me away. I was a little surprised. You shouldn't be. You've got, you've got I, like, yeah, but it's just we don't meet listeners very often, so <laughs> it's it's fun. Well, I'm still waiting on like my um, my autograph from you, like the headshot with the autograph. So I'll, I'll be waiting on that. Yeah, Amy has those. She oh, she has all of those. I'll so. send her. Okay, yeah, do that. Now you came to the IMB in this position. You came to this position um, a short time ago. We'll get to that in just a second and why that was created and everything. But you've been with the IMB on the field for some time, and originally from Alabama. I know you, you like to say that you know the New York accent that you've got there, but yeah, it's it's hard to hide that one. For sure, for sure. We like I like to trick people with that one, but they they catch it pretty quickly. Or just give yes. me a really, really odd look when I say New York City. And, and you're actually from the same hometown as Scott Barkley, who's on our team here at Baptist Press, like, you know, yes. little Cherokee County, Alabama representing here. Yes, go Warriors. Yeah, that was super fun. All right. So tell us a little bit about your role, why it was created, what you do in that role, and, and kind of just bring us along from, you know, we talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but for those who may have missed those episodes, you know, a while back, kind of bring us along and like why you're in the role you're in right now and what you actually are doing. Good deal. So yeah, I'll give a little bit of history um, behind how all this got started. So in 2018, um, our then president, David Platt, uh, called for an outside independent examination of how we were handling, um, you know, how we handled past matters, our current policies, practices, all related to our prevention and response to allegations of abuse. That includes like sexual abuse, child abuse, sexual harassment, and sexual assault. So with that um, independent examination, um, you know, that kind of got the ball started. And then shortly after that, Dr. Chitwood came on board with us and he took the baton from um, Dr. Platt and they just ran with it. And we had an outside agency, Lanthrop 
Gray Plant and Moody came on board and really just did that examination, a two-part examination of looking into past allegations, how we handled that, um, if there was anything we needed to do on that side, which really called for um, a lot of, sometimes it was calling and making reports to law enforcement that maybe were not made when they should have been, calls to past victims, um, you know, giving apologies of how things might have not been handled the way we would have handled them today, and then offering follow-up care, um, seeing what we could do for them in that, in that moment. And then also um, through the examination, we looked at our current policies, our practices, how were we handling these kind of um, reports and this stuff. So really it was just a very thorough, like fine tooth comb, like what are we doing? What could we do better? Um, Cause we want to raise the bar and we really want to set like a gold standard. So out of that um, came this role, the prevention and response administrator. That was one of the recommendations given to the IMB um, from the external examination saying you need somebody that this is their sole purpose. Like they are making sure that the prevention side is getting done, that the response side, like they need to have all their focus and attention on these matters. So that is where this role came from. And uh, when it was presented, you know, as, as something that our, our company needed, our organization needed, uh, I have a little bit of background in this area. And I felt like the Lord was just um, kind of giving me this nudge that this is the way that I could serve him um, and serve his creation, keeping people safe, and then also serve this organization that I love so well. So that's kind of a little bit of history of where it came from. You know, this role just came out of that examination that it's it's a tough process, but it has just done so many great things for our organization. Now, you mentioned you had a background in this. What, what did that entail? So um, many years ago, before we ever came on board um, with the organization, uh, first I started off as a forensic interviewer. So for a children's advocacy center, so if there was a report of abuse um, with a minor and we had to do those, you know, people had to do the initial interview for a child. And so I was trained in interviewing children in that, um, in that case for law enforcement, sometimes um, department of human resources for them, for attorneys, for district attorneys. So I had, um, you know, some training and background in forensic interviews, forensic counseling, and then I became um, a school counselor, too, which was a lot around taking reports, a lot of working with Department of Human Resources or CPS and government agencies, ensuring the safety of, of children and their family. So that was in my background. And it's something I was passionate about. I'm very passionate about ensuring safety for children, um, not just children, but families and people all around and making sure that this subject is not one that is swept under the rug. Um, I'm very passionate about making sure that people are aware that this is an issue, that it's a problem, that we do what we can to prevent, and then we also do what we can to care for people, for our survivors. Um, we need to do a good job with that as well. Yeah, and one of the things that I, I've been very impressed upon is that Dr. Chitwood and his leadership of the IB is fully supportive of yeah. what you're doing and you, the legal team, HR, everything the administration is 100% behind what you're doing. And, and, and that makes a big difference in your role. Absolutely. I mean, this is something that has to come from the top down, not just top down, but it also has to be like a culture. We're creating a culture and a climate of number one, um, we don't tolerate this, you know, abuse and harassment is not tolerated here. And then also the culture of um, if something does happen, you, we want people to feel very comfortable and understand how they can report that. 
So that needs to come from the top down. And then also we need that culture and environment of the responsibility of people, of our leaders, of our personnel, of everybody. Like it's your responsibility. If you see something or somebody tells you something or you have a, a concern, you need to report that. So yeah, everybody from Dr. Chitwood all to, to our field, our staff, um, everybody's on board and we're really working hard to create that, that culture and that environment of, of safety and feeling safe to be able to come forward if something has happened. Now we talk a lot about on the podcast, you know, we, we've talked about prevention. We've talked about, you know, a bit of victim care as well. And, and that's something that, you know, we, we've really, I, I feel there's a lot of conversation about that, even in, you know, there are conferences for victim care, there's conferences yeah. for prevention. But one of the things that you just talked about is something that I've noticed is very lacking, or at least it seems to be lacking in a lot of places. And that's creating an environment where people feel free to report. And that seems like the missing piece in a lot of institutions, whether it be a church, organization, whatever it may be, is that people, they have this suspicion, they have this feeling, but they don't feel the freedom to report because either they're scared they'll be, um, either they'll, they'll embarrass somebody or they'll be wrong and they'll be you know maligned for that. Or even worse, they'll be punished for bringing something to light. So that seems to be a big missing piece, at least from where I sit. And maybe I, I could be wrong. You say, no, that's actually not. But it, it seems like that is a piece that we really, uh, especially in churches, need to work on because we, we have this this thing, you know, where you can't go against the pastor or the leadership or something like that. And people will get mad at the person that reports an issue. Can you talk a little bit to that and just, and just how that sometimes is, is a major like hole in our prevention yeah. and, and awareness? Right. And this is something, and I, I try to be very sensitive towards this, especially when I, I also, I also do the training, you know, for our missionaries that are about to go overseas. And we talk about this, like the importance of reporting And a lot of times I tell people like, you're taking a risk. I know, and I understand that if you have a feeling or you have a suspicion that something bad is happening, you have a legitimate concern, you're taking a risk by reporting that. You're risking um, maybe a friendship or risking, you know, like you've had this cohesive team or this, you know, this group. And yes, it might get messy. People's feelings might get hurt. There might be some anger, but what I tried to, remind people is the risk that you're taking by not reporting that is a risk to somebody's life. Not only like a risk of continuing, like there could be harm happening and that could continue if you don't report that. But as you have heard from so many survivors, this is not something that just they go to some counseling and they're done and they can kind of go on with life. This is, this is something that follows them for the rest of their life. So I have to really, when I'm trying to educate people on this, like, yes, I know that it can be scary to report because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. You don't want to accuse somebody of something that, well, maybe, maybe it's not happening. You know, I don't know. Or maybe you're scared of what's going to retaliation or what's going to happen to you. Take that, but then think about the flip side. What's happening to the person that you're concerned about? What could possibly be happening to them now? What could possibly happen to them if you don't report that? And what are they living with lifelong, the lifelong scars that come with that? So a little bit of uncomfortableness um, on your part and having to kind of process and work through that versus somebody's life that's going to be altered forever. 
So really just reminding people of that. And I think it's a, you know, it's something that just has to hit your heart and people have to really think about, am I willing to be uncomfortable making this report, taking this chance, taking this risk to, to possibly save somebody else? So I think it just has to be communicated in that way. And um, like I said, we really try to create this culture and this environment to where we are really looking out for victims. We're really looking out for those people. And I try to tell people as a team, when you're talking about these things, talk about it with your friends, like saying, hey, guys, if I have a concern, I want to raise that because I care so much about you. I care so much about your children. I care so much about our organization. Like we just got to make that environment to where people know we care for our victims and we want to make sure that people are happy, healthy and safe. On that, like, how do we create that atmosphere, though, where people feel safe to report in the church? That's a lot of, of training. And like I said, kind of like what we're doing and seeing here with the IMB, you know, it's a top down thing. It needs to be spoken about. That's one thing that we've learned, too, that this was such a taboo conversation and nobody ever wanted to talk about it. And so people are just scared to even talk about it because it is kind of awkward and uncomfortable. But when you have somebody like, let's say, in a local church, you have a, a pastor or um, somebody from the front saying that, you know, this environment, our church is a safe place. We want to ensure the safety of our people. Um, if something's happened, please come tell us. It really just needs to be communicated from leadership all the way down. And a lot of people, a lot of times people just don't know how to communicate that because for so long, for so many years, it's so taboo to talk about. So I encourage pastors or, or leadership, reach out and get some training in that. Like, how can we create this environment? Um, it could be policy, policy changes within a church and then communicating that like, hey, we've updated our policy and this is stuff that um, that we won't tolerate. And that if it does happen, this is how we're going to handle it. So really just kind of opening up the communication like we're going to talk about it now. It's OK to talk about Um And then really just communicating the heart of we are for you. We are for these victims. We're for survivors. And um, yeah, really just kind of showing their heart to their congregation. But I would say if you don't don't know how to do that, reach out. There are so many organizations that want to help with that. I mean, you got people like Ministries Safe, uh, Caring Well. We've got the new Evangelical Council of Abuse Prevention. These people are ready to help and assist churches communicate that out so that that environment can be open to reporting. All right. Uh, last question. And, you know, maybe this may not be able to answer short, you know, in a quick order, but with churches and, and the discussion around sex abuse and sex abuse prevention in churches, what's maybe like the one or two things that they can do right away? I mean, I, and we've all talked about background checks. We've heard about you know, having policies and things. And it feels like churches are moving in that direction. What are maybe the one or two things that they can do that they're maybe not thinking about or, or maybe not as obvious as, as some of those that they can do to, to help prevent that and create safer places in the, within the church? My first thing is start talking about it now. Start doing it now. A lot of churches will wait until there's something that happens. And then it's like, oh my goodness, like we've got to, we need to create something. We need to hurry as leadership in your church, start thinking now, create a task force or a team that this, this is what they're doing. They're looking at ways to train um, your leadership, your volunteers within your church. They're looking at the best screening that they can do, background checks for all of your volunteer, your child care workers. They're looking, like I said, at trainings. What can you be training within your church? 
So create like a task force, a team, um, and then just start communicating that. Start talking about it now and not waiting until something has happened. Um, and like a, the, the big thing is too, if you don't know where to start, there are so many organizations that are ready to help you. Just reach out. Even within your own community, there's uh, children's advocacy centers all over the place. Reach out to them. They can help. Your Department of Human Resources or Child Protective Services, they've got ideas for you. So don't feel like you just kind of have to come up with all this on your own. There's people out there that are ready and willing to help. So just my biggest advice, start talking about it now. Okay. And, and I, I thought of one other thing while you were talking there, victim care. Um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about prevention, talk a lot about setting up those policies, talking about it as a staff. But when something happens, what are a couple of things that churches can do to better care for victims? Because th- th- it feels like, you know, you mentioned it earlier, how this is something that alters somebody's life forever. A lot of times, um, how, how can churches better care for victims in the event that this happens or, or maybe that they have them who it, it maybe not happened at the church, but you've got church members who are victims uh, and, and that this may, you know, affect. Yeah. Um, this is a great question. And part of that, when I said like, start talking about it now, get that task force. One thing that churches need to be looking at is, you know, are we, is anybody here trained on like being trauma informed? That is a huge thing. There are a lot of trauma informed trainings that people can do just to know how to care well for victims and survivors of abuse, knowing how to to speak with them, what's the best ways to help them. So trying to find somebody within your church that maybe is already trained in that or could be trained in that, like that point person for a victim or survivor. Um, Also, again, looking outside of your church, going ahead and locating, is there somebody in our community or organization, our community that works with survivors that if somebody comes to us or if we've walked through this process and we have a survivor there, um, who can we outsource that to, to get help? Somebody that we trust, that we want to kind of say, you know, maybe we're not equipped to do counseling or something, you know, in this area, because you really want to be specialized in this. This is, you know, not not everybody is, is specialized in working with abuse victims. So make sure that you know somebody that is so that you can care well for that person by sending them to somebody that's specifically trained in how to care for a uh, survivor of abuse. And, um, Really, I would just say, just educate yourself, educate yourself on um, the way that it's just best to care for somebody that has walked through this kind of um, this kind of abuse and making sure that they feel at all times like they're not being left in the dark. One thing that um, we've realized here is when somebody comes and they report something and we might have to walk through that investigation, we never want them to feel like they brought us this life altering, you know, incident. And then we ask them, okay, we're going to look into it, but wait over here while we do it. We never want them to feel like they just, they brought this to us and then we're leaving them high and dry until we're done. You want to have somebody that's in constant communication with them, letting them know what's going on, a process. If you're having to walk through as a church, a process, um, have somebody that is, is talking with this, this victim regularly, keep them, keeping them up to date, seeing if they need some outside follow-up care. Um, you just want them to know that one, they're heard, um, two, they're believed and they're supported. And that if there is something that you can do to help them through this process, this healing journey, that you're ready and willing to do that. So once again, start talking about it now, figure that out, how you want to do that as a church and figure it out now before, um, something is brought to you. Awesome. Well, 
thank you, Summer, for joining us today. It's been uh, good to, to talk with you, not just today, but earlier this week, whenever we were there and on campus at IMB. But uh, I appreciate all that you're doing to help uh, those that we have around the world, as well as there in Richmond. And uh, I know that uh, those listening to this will be uh, greatly edified by what you've, you've said here on the on the podcast. And uh, congratulations also on your good friend of the pod status now. Yes. So officially. Yes. Well, I'll wait on my, like I said, I'm waiting on my autographs, my my headshots, maybe a t-shirt or a coffee mug. I'll be waiting. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> we don't have merch. We have stickers. I think that's about it. So well, okay, we, maybe we should look into merch. I don't know. We'll, merch. You gotta we'll have merch. Yes. If I get merch, I'll send you something. You get first thing. Thank you. Thank you. I feel, man, I feel like a superstar today. All righty. Thank you, Summer. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. That was a great interview with Summer Novak from the International Mission Board. And that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right. We're going to go to 1956, the July 21st issue of Baptist Press. Um and it's actually a pretty interesting issue. There's a, a the the first one is about like the la about about the the last um, survey that had been done. The last agency survey had been made in the depression, and so they kind of talked through what the what those surveys were, the difference between 1933 and 1956. So it's very interesting, but that's not the one I want to talk about. I noticed a very small story that just captured my heart. It's on the last page, next to last one. And it just reminded me that these human interest stories that we uh, will see a lot of times in Baptist Press, they existed back then, too. So it was the story out of Prescott, Arkansas. There was human interest back then, too, huh? Is that what you're saying? Always. Always, always yes. human interest. But I mean in Baptist Press, yes. Um, so... In Prescott, Arkansas, um, First Baptist Church, Leechville, Arkansas, had a pastor, Harold Presley. And the story that was in Baptist Press was how he got to baptize his 90-year-old grandfather. So it's really cool. It's a very short thing. It says R.G. Presley, 90-year-old resident of Delight, Arkansas, was baptized here recently by his grandson, Harold Presley. He became a member of Fairview Baptist Church in Delight. So he wasn't a member of his grandson's church, but his grandson got to come and baptize him. And, you know, we've got a lot. We've had a lot of of uh, stories over the years of, of some of these sort of special moments. And we've even talked a lot about baptisms in the last several months seeing things happening like at, at Long Hollow and, and other other places. We're going to have, you know, fill the tank coming in, in September. But I just loved this. And I loved seeing this being celebrated in 1956, a 90-year-old man coming to Christ, his grandson being a pastor and getting to come and baptize him. And it just reminds us that uh, when there are people in our lives that we love and care about, we want them to hear the gospel. Um, we can't stop praying. We can't stop hoping. We can't stop knowing that um, that the Lord works in the hearts of people. And what a what a great thing uh, to see. So as we often are celebrating um, people's eyes opening uh, to the truth of Christ and their hearts turning to him, um, as we celebrate that, Southern Baptists were also celebrating it this week in SBC history in 1956. That's great. Very cool. 
So. All right. Yeah. So pretty short story, but it just was neat. But check out that issue because there's also some other interesting articles in there uh, uh, as far as like studies uh, from 1933 to 1956 comparison, things like that. All right. Well, really cool. All right. Okay. Well, that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? It is a new book uh, by J.D. Greer. So it's coming out August 1st. And it's called Just Ask, and it is it's on prayer. So it's a uh, the the subtitle is it's a little long. It's the joy of confident, bold, patient, relentless, shameless, dependent, grateful, powerful, expectant prayer. So that is a a long title, uh, That's or a mouthful. long yeah long subtitle. But the title is Just Ask, and it is really talking about. Um, our prayer life being a delight and not a duty and really talking about how prayer can be a struggle uh, for many of us. Um, and it, and it has always been, it is not, not been a spiritual discipline that's come as easily to me as some others. And so I'm excited to read this. I have not, I've not gotten to see it yet, uh, but you can pre-order it now. It will come out in, in August. Um, it gives practical tips um, and then also is really designed to to push us to want to pray. All right. Well, mine is a new book I just got in the mail yesterday at the office from Kriegel Academic. And I, I think some, some people that you know here, because uh, they're on staff at uh, one of our seminaries over at Southwestern, mm-hmm. uh, a sponsor seminary here. But uh, John Massey, Mike Morris, and Madison Grace have a new book on the history of Southern Baptist International Missions, and it's called Make Disciples of All Nations. So I thought that was a fitting book to recommend this week based on the fact that I was at IMB earlier this week, and we had Summer Novak on the on the podcast today. So yeah. Make Disciples of All Nations. It's a history of Southern Baptist International Missions. Uh, and you know the foreword's even written by Paul Chitwood. So there you go. And I mentioned uh, Massey, Morris, and Grace. They are the editors. And a few good friends of the pod with a chapter in here, Amy. We've got yes. uh, Jason Dusing. That's right. David Dockery. I see uh, John Mark Terry and Micah Freeze have a chapter. And, and they Paul have Aiken. a chapter in it, yeah. Yeah, and Paul Aiken has a chapter. And Adam Greenway did the afterward. Yeah. So lots of folks that uh, many of you would know uh, involved in the making of this book. And uh, do check it out. Yeah, and what this really does is it each chapter kind of takes a different era of international missions for uh, the the SBC. So going all the way through um, the kind of facing the twenty first century. So uh, so that that should be very interesting, and it it mixes. So John Massey is uh, you know missiology, but like Madison Grace is history. So it's kind of that blend of missiology and and history yeah so very cool i'm gonna have to read some of this check it out and uh, i like literally just got it yesterday so recommending it here on the podcast because it looks like a a great resource for those of you involved in missions or just wanting to get to know more about what the southern baptist convention has done through the international mission board during its 175 plus year history so uh make disciples of all nations yeah, and Mike Morris as well is a senior professor of missions, so I didn't I didn't mention him, but um, but yeah, so I think it's going to be a great a great resource. I don't have one yet. I need to get a copy. That's because I'm special. I understand. That's right. I can, yeah. They sent me one. 
I know. So, I know. I, it's it's actually pretty stunning that I have one and you don't. So <laughs> it is really stunning. I wonder. I, I wonder how we can fix that. But you should enjoy. Well, Amazon link, Amy. You you can fix it very easily. I bet it can be there by Monday. I bet it could. I bet it could. I'll see what I can do. There you do. go. All right. Well, cool. Uh, again, want to thank Summer Novak for joining us here on the podcast this week. It was great to hear from her. Thank you to everybody at the International Mission Board for their hospitality this week and uh, my trip over there that I mentioned earlier. And Amy, I'll see you next week. See you next week. See you next week.